I want to ask that nobody moves in the next five or six minutes. Is that okay? Just sit there because I want you to watch and hear an amazing story. This is a real story of people who are now part of this church. It'll come up on the screen. So just for the next few minutes, just stay, listen and watch. This is an amazing story of a God who is greater than. Hi, I'm Pete, Pete Bucks, um, new to Hells Owen, originally from Bridgewater in Somerset. I'm Helena, originally from Bedfordshire. In 2001, Helena and I got married. And I started working as a primary school teacher. Uh, loved it, really enjoyed uh, working with the kids and um, had a great time, but had a sense after about four years there that God was calling us on and moving us into something new. I was hoping, you know, somewhere nice, Hawaii or whatever, but no, uh, we, uh, it happened that God uh, called us to Egypt. My initial reaction to God telling us that we should go to Egypt was that I didn't want to go. <laughs> that I felt it was overwhelming, really, that I had a sense that that was too big a jump for me. And God clearly gave me scripture to confirm that he was going to be with me, that he was going to protect us and that he was going to be with us. We came across obviously a brand new culture, uh, but also not just Egypt and Egyptians and the language and all of that, but also the people we work with through from different cultures as well. So our girls um, didn't know anything else other than living in Egypt um, and th really thrived there. They went to a fantastic preschool that was run by a local believer. I. Uh, went there to do house church planting and ended up doing sports ministry and just really enjoyed that and uh, had great connections within the local community. Local community really welcomed us in. Lots of time spending talking uh, to people, talking to Muslims about Jesus and doing football coaching and working in local schools was just, was just great and we just had a real home there. It was brilliant. So many people arriving in the square, hopefully no infiltrators. Can, we, can you try and just allow... On the Tuesday when we had the day off school because there was concerns that they would be writing for me, I wasn't concerned because that happened several times before. And I remember just thinking, great, we've got a day off work. The first thing really was just every Friday it seemed to be, there seemed to be some kind of demonstration. There was a sense of building up, but that every Friday there were different marches through the you know through the streets and there were various demonstrations and each one had a different name but this kind of built up and you could sense on the news and just around that it was more and more frustration they they cancelled church and they told us to stay indoors and i wasn't quite really sure what was happening at that point but we did what they advised us to do and i remember the girls we we were playing outside with the girls and actually the strong this the, the the uh, tear gas that was coming into the garden actually meant we had to go inside because it was starting to sting our eyes. Uh, and probably at that point, that was the first time I'd really experienced anything directly affecting us. Um, and I remember watching the marching going up the main street where we lived and it all seemed very calm and peaceful at that point. I think for me, the point at which I really realised this had changed was then watching them come back later in the evening in the other direction uh, and you could sense that it was a much angrier feeling to the march 
And I remember one of the guys walking up our side street and I was on the balcony and he shouted up, the police have gone. And I thought, oh, now we're in trouble. So at the time we didn't realise what the rest of the world was seeing in terms of images that were coming out of Egypt and that we were actually in the middle of the revolution. Of course, I was most concerned that the girls um, were kind of not too aware of things and just trying to carry on as normally as possible for them. Um, It was quite hard for us to get a sense of what was happening in the rest of the country because um, the Friday when we woke up we found that we'd lost uh, all our mobile phone coverage and our internet coverage across the whole country. So mobile and internet was gone, there was no way of contacting anybody other than the home phone which nobody ever used but that provided a real lifeline, people could contact us on their home telephone. We're hearing stories that because the police had left that there were uh, people going around uh, buildings and attacking people uh, and threatening to kill people and so uh, we had to go to bed that night prepared for that to happen to us. Um, So we packed a bag and that night we went to bed uh, all in our clothes, the girls were in their clothes, we had bags next to us. Our main concern was if there was like an attack on the house So I went to bed and next to me was my baseball bat because the girls' room was before our room. So that slightly concerned us, but we went to bed that Saturday night, basically not not knowing what was going to happen. Were we going to have a full night's sleep? What were we going to do? Were we going to have to rush out? Were we going to meet somebody who was trying to break into our house? So there we were on that Saturday night going to bed, really not knowing what was going to happen next. Wow, what a story. And some of you are sitting there thinking, what did happen next? You'll have to come back next week. I'm just joking, you will find out. But can you imagine being in a scenario like that, where everything seems calm and peaceful and settled, and all of a sudden, bang, and you're in the middle of a revolution, and you're in the middle of a situation which has erupted up around you and you don't know what to do. And one of the obvious reactions and responses, uh, you're not human if you don't have this response, is fear, isn't it? Because what am I going to do? You know, how do I protect the kids? How do I protect us? How do I protect my wife? In Pete's case, as he, as he was saying there on, on, the, on the video. But you know, if you, if you only had a one book, you've got to have the worst case scenario survival handbook, haven't you? I mean, if you've anyone ever read any of those things, if you've got that, you're all right in life. Because that tells you what to do in any extreme situation. So apparently, and I've read some of this, if you are being attacked by an octopus on the bottom of the seafloor, all you need to do is just keep somersaulting and you'll get away. So just make a note of that and just think next time that happens, all right? But then you see, on your way up to the surface, if you get attacked by a shark, don't somersault, it will get you. Just hit it really hard in the eyes and the gills and you'll be fine. If when you get to the surface, you are then confronted with an alien, there's no good doing that eyes and gills thing and it can read your mind so watch your mind if you get past that and you get to the shore and you get gripped by a gorilla it ain't going to read your mind but it's going to put you in a lock and the only thing you can do apparently is to stroke the gorilla's arm and smack your lips loudly like this so let's try that together shall we 
that you look really strange. But apparently, apparently this book will help you in any scenario. But it isn't going to help you, is it? Because how does it help you with the fear? How does it help you with all of the responses which are totally human when, when these kind of things happen? When these kind of storms happen in our life, when these kind of scenarios happen, when all of a sudden everything that was calm and peaceful is no longer calm and peaceful, what do we do about the fear? What is fear? Fear is a self-correcting mechanism. It's something inside of us which anticipates something that might happen to us. So when we start to feel fearful, our body reacts. Hormones, adrenaline, blood drain, heart pounds, sweat, pupils alter. Research says that some people are more likely to be fearful and anxious than others because they have a certain type of gene. So if they have this gene, they are more predisposed. Oh, I can't say that word. They're more likely to... to <laughs> thank you, yeah. They're more, I tried that the first service. It didn't work then. I should have given that up, shouldn't I? They're more likely to be fearful or anxious. If you want to know, the gene is SLC6A4. How many of you are worried you've got that right now? You probably have got it because you're worried about it. And that's what... Apparently, researchers say that's what can happen. But I want to suggest to you this morning, all of us have to face fear, don't we? We all face fear in one shape or another. And there's a good side to fear because it protects us and keeps us safe. But the downside to fear is that it can paralyze us, grip us, choke the life out of us. And it's not how life is meant to be lived. You know, I'm really bothered when I see our children and our kids who live in such a lot of fear. You know, it freaks me out that a lot of kids these days are so fearful about things like, and so anxious about things like their, their body weight and their image and their looks. And they've not even gone to big school yet. We live in a fear-filled society and community. And Helen Keller, who some of you will have heard about, she was an amazing woman who was born deaf and blind and was the first woman in that condition to, to get a BA, in, in a degree. And she said this, life is either a daring adventure or it is nothing at all. Life is either a daring adventure or it is nothing at all. So what does God have to say about fear? Well, we're going to look at a story today. It's in the, the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. It's in the book of Matthew. It's chapter 14, verse 22. If you've got a Bible, you can read it. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, because all of the, the words I'm going to read from the Bible are going to come up on the screen. So if you haven't got a Bible, don't worry. And um, just while some of you are finding that, if you want to find it, some of you that were here last week will remember that Simon finished off our summer series by talking about boats and storms and shipwrecks. And this week, I'm talking about boats and storms and shipwrecks and all that kind of thing. And um, he kind of worked away on his, and I was working away on mine. And it's so that, that, that we're almost saying very similar things. And we've just concluded together that that must mean that God is wanting to say something to us. He really is. As we, as we just um, kind of uh, stay and rest in this theme for a bit. And it may be that you think, well, actually, my life's fine. You know, I, I'm not in a storm. I'm not, you know, I'm not fearful. Well, that's absolutely great. But I guarantee you will be. That's the good news this morning. You will be. And you'll be really glad that you understand and have heard some of this stuff that we want to share with you this morning. So I'm going to read the story to you. If those of you that have been in church for any amount of time, it's quite a well-known church story in that sense, Bible story. Some of you, it might be new to you, but let me read it to you anyway. It's from verse 22, Matthew 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified 
It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. If you've ever seen the film Bruce Almighty, you'll know that there's a bit in this about um, Bruce kind of walking on the water. And, and, and if you're not a Christian this morning, don't get locked into the fact of how can a man walk on the water and all that. I really believe that happened because I believe that God is a God of miracles and he can do things that I can't work out. But don't let that distract you at one level because there are a whole load of real important lessons for us to get from this story. Firstly, I want to say this. Fear is part of what it means to be human. You know, the fact that we have fear is an indicator that we're human. It's part of what it means to be human. We all have fears. Whether you're a kid going to school for the first time or or the next year at school or the next school, whether you're someone who's leaving home like the Stans girls, whether you're starting a new job, we all have fears. Whether it's going to the dentist, whether it's that fear of there's something wrong with me and I need to go to the doctors, but if I go to the doctors, he might say that something's wrong with me and that whole fear that we have. We have fears of growing old. We have fears of making our life count. We have fears of rejection. We have fears of ending up alone. Some of us used to have fears of hair falling out, but we've got over that fear now. <laughs> just, you just get over it. I don't know how it happens. Some of you do. Some of us have got fears of getting furniture disease. You know what furniture disease is? When your chest falls into your drawers. See, some of you have got, got over that as well. By the looks of it. We have all these kind of fears. <laughs> and... There was, there was a couple of old ladies at the first service which were traumatised by that. Can I just tell you that? They, they couldn't hear anything else. They just kept looking around down here and saying, oh, don't say anything else, Leon, keep going. <laughs> part, of, part of what it means to be human is to have fears. The thing is, some of us just hide them better than others. We just hide our fears better than others. And you may think, oh, oh no, I'm not fearful. You know, perhaps you're a guy and you think, oh, I'm not fearful. I don't have fears. Interestingly enough, when Jesus says in this story, it says in this story about Jesus, that he dismissed the crowd so he could be alone. Some of us are fearful right there. We're fearful of being alone. We're fearful of being on our own. We're fe- fearful of being disconnected from other people because that's where our security and our, our identity comes from. That manifests itself in the modern world, I think, often through technology. We're so fearful of being disconnected. Last week, just before one of the services, there were a few young adults who'd come early and they were sat down around there. Probably some of these guys I'm now looking at over here who are looking at me like that. Let's look over here while I talk about you. No, and, and, they, <laughs> and, and there was four of them all sat together. And they all had their phones. They were all on their phones. And so I was just chatting to them and I went along the road and I said, I'll tell you what, why don't you talk to each other? Give me your phones and I'll give them back after church. You should have seen their reaction. Oh my goodness. One of them, the blood drained out of her face. One of them went into like the crash position in the aeroplane. One of them stood up to Jackie Chan me. It was like, this was incredible because we cannot stand the thought of being disconnected. That's a fear, isn't it? That's a fear of our own company. And Jesus was totally secure in who he was. But you know, this whole story is about fear. See, we have this impression, and if you went to Sunday school as a kid, the impression is that it's a beautiful, calm lake And all the disciples are are on the nice calm lake in the boat. Jesus walks towards them. He says, Peter, come to me. Peter gets out. As he walks on the water, the storm comes. That's our impression. But that's not what happened. 
Jesus said, go into the boat and go onto the lake. The minute they got onto the lake, there was a massive storm for hours and hours. These experienced fishermen were battling against the storm. They were all fearful. And then when they saw Jesus coming, it looked like a ghost. So they're already fearful and now they're terrified. All of the guys in the boat, the rest of the disciples, they're not going to get out because they're fearful. Peter gets out, starts to walk on the water, then sees it and realizes again, oh, it really is a storm that we were in. And he sinks and he's fearful. Everyone's fearful. Fear is part of what it means to be human. But God is greater than our fears, isn't he? Second thing is this. Fear is a choice. Storms often aren't. This is what Simon was talking about last week, you know. You can choose whether you're fearful. You often can't choose what kind of storms you're in. It might be today, this morning, that you're in a boat and you're in the middle of a storm and you're tossed about by waves. Perhaps you're in the middle of divorce, relational breakdown, and you're tossed around by waves of guilt and all kinds of stuff. Perhaps you're in the middle of debt. You're tossed about by waves of creditors. Perhaps you're in the middle of a health challenge tossed about by waves of uncertainty, perhaps a family difficulty, a bereavement. Perhaps you know that you're in the middle of recession, tossed around by waves of insecurity. You don't know what to do. You know, fear is a choice, storms aren't. But within the storm, you can choose what you do with that fear. And you might say, but I'm a Christian, so I shouldn't be in a storm, should I? I shouldn't be fearful because I'm a Christian. You know, being a Christian does not mean that you get some kind of like, you know, here's a get out of storms free card. You don't get that. In fact, Jesus told them to do this. Jesus led them into the storm. It wasn't the enemy. It wasn't the devil. It was Jesus that led them into the storm. In another occasion, another story, Jesus was in a boat with them. And he said, let's go over to the other side. And as they went in the boat, there was another storm. They thought they were going to die and Jesus was asleep. Just because Jesus is with you, just because you're following Jesus, does not give you a get out of storms free card. Wish it did, but it doesn't. And if you're not a Christian today and you think, well, if I be a Christian, then I won't have any problems in my life. I'm really sorry to burst your bubble. That's not going to be what happens. You will have problems. You will have storms. But in the middle of the storm, you will know a God who is greater than the storm. And that makes all the difference, doesn't it? We have a God who is greater than. And the third thing is that fear is the place you least expect to meet God, but often experience him the most. And you know, when in the Bible, the way that the Bible is written, the language that this New Testament is written is called Aramaic. And the kind of sense of what is being said here is that Jesus was about to pass by. And as he's about to pass by, Peter notices him. And he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Well, before that, actually, he says some words to all the disciples. He says this, it is I. He says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And that little phrase, it is I, in the Aramaic, is the equivalent of a phrase in Hebrew, which is the language of the Old Testament, which, is, which means I am. And it's that sense of God who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. He said, I am. I am the creator God. I am greater than all your fears. Jesus is saying the same thing again to these disciples. He's saying, listen, you don't have to be afraid because I am greater than all of your fears. And the command, don't fear or, or, or don't be afraid, is the most common command in the whole Bible. Why? Because we're human and we get fearful. And, and they meet God. And the idea here is that, that in the middle of the storm, Jesus doesn't want to just show them how great he is. He wants them to meet his greatness. He wants them to encounter him in the middle of their storm. And many of you in this room, you know what it's like. I know what it's like as well. I know what it's like when my kid was diagnosed with special needs to know God in the middle of the storm when we had to put him into residential care and all of the fears that come and to meet, him in the, meet God in the middle of that. Many of you have lost people and with the pain and the grief, you've met God in the middle of that. Many of you have had health challenges, but you've met God in the middle of your fear. Am I right? 
You know God because you've met him in the middle of the storm because God is greater than our fears. Fourth thing, fear is ultimately linked to trust. Fear is ultimately linked to trust. Why we have so many crippling fears is because we don't really trust anyone outside of ourselves, and even then not sometimes ourselves either. And the amazing thing I think is this. If you've got 12 disciples in the boat, okay? And by the way, we borrowed this from Liso's boating park. We did ask permission, all right? Can I just say that? And you can imagine the 12 guys in the boat and then here's, and they're in the storm and there's Jesus and he's saying, come. And Peter says, oh, I'm going to go for it. And so Peter's the one that goes for it. He trusts Jesus. They trust the planks of wood. Who's the crazy one? If you're in the middle of a storm... Who's the crazy one? To trust God, the creator of the universe, or to trust some planks of wood? You see, many people are not Christians, and they say this, listen, you trust God. It's just like, it's just a crutch for you. Well, I'll tell you what, you break your leg, you need a crutch. But when you end up in the middle of a storm, you end up in a life situation, I know who I would rather trust, whether I trust the creator of the universe who's on the water, or the planks of wood, I'd rather trust God. And so in the middle of this storm, fear is linked to trust, and Peter begins to walk. You see, Peter has a view of God that he is a greater than God. He's a big God. We often, many of us, have a view of God, even as Christians, as he's a less than God. He's a small God. We don't quite believe that God is greater than our fears. I want to read a quote to you. This is a really deep quote. It's so deep that I was reading it to my wife last night, who's one of the deepest intelligent people that I know, and she asked me to read it two or three times. It is a deep quote, but it's an amazing quote if you can get it. Listen to this. It says this. The brooding pessimism that the good news of God's love is simply wishful thinking weaves a thin membrane of distrust that keeps us in a chronic state of anxiety. But the heart converted from mistrust to trust in the irreversible forgiveness of Jesus Christ is redeemed from the corrosive power of fear. Oh, I'd love to be out of right like that. Isn't that amazing? That when you have that sense of, I just don't believe that God is bigger. Just don't believe that God is greater than my fear. There's like a mistrust and it's a chronic thing. But when we get converted from that to trusting in the irreversible, redeeming love of Jesus, we get delivered from that corrosive power of fear. You know, the Bible says that that there's only one fear that we should really go for and that's the fear of God. And that sense of God being bigger than the awesome, not the cowering fear, but the awesome sense of God. And God says that that kind of fear drives out all other fears. And the reason that, that, that I know people who can, and you know people, and we, some of us are people, that can go through life storms with such an assurance and a solidity is because we know that we have the fear of God and that drives out all other fears. And we choose to trust God in the middle of our storms. And how do you know if your view of God is small? Well, you have a small view of God when we live in constant fear and anxiety like it all depends on us. We have a small God when we get a chance to share our faith and we shrink back because of fear of being rejected. We have a small God when we can't be generous financially because we think our financial security all depends on us. We have a small God when we need to confront someone but we can't because of fear of what they'll do or say. And we have a small view of God when we know that God is asking us to step out the boat, but we don't do it because we're afraid of what we think might happen. But God is greater than our fears. Fifth thing I want to say is that fear and growth go hand in hand. How many of you want to grow in your life? 
Yeah, well, you ain't going to do it without conquering the fear. Now, here's the interesting thing, is that if you're in the boat, okay, with the rest of the disciples, and you're kind of sat, I hope I can get up again out of this, um, if you're, and you're sat here, and it all feels quite comfortable, although remember that they're in a storm, so it isn't that comfortable, but when it comes to the point when they see Jesus, okay, and Peter is kind of looking out, and he's looking at Jesus, and here's the thing, that Peter is the only one that takes the risk to step out of the boat. And Peter is the only one whose faith grew. If you want to grow, you've got to step out. And you won't step out unless you confront your fear. So fear will be the thing that stops you stepping out and then you won't grow. You see, as somebody once says, you've got to be in it to win it. You know, you've got to be involved if you want to do it. In fact, there's a story um, of two runners, Harold Abrahams and Eric Liddell. Some of you know the story. Chariots of Fire, we had a play here recently about it. The first time Harold Abrahams ran against Eric Liddell and he lost, he said to his girlfriend, that's it, I'm never running again. I'm never running again. And he kept going on saying, I'm not running. If I can't win, I'm not running. And then he said this to her, he says, if I don't win, if I can't win, I'm not going to run. She said this, if you don't run, you can't win. You know, to flip it round, if you don't take a step out the boat, you will never grow. It is impossible to grow without the risk. So I don't know what it is this morning that is your boat. What, is, what does it mean for you in your life? What's your boat? What's your security that you put a greater value on rather than moving towards God? Interestingly enough, you know, if you're not a Christian this morning, what could it mean for you to step out of the boat? Well, it might mean that for some of you, you say, I'm ready. I'm going to give my life to God. That's fantastic. But for many of you, if you're not a Christian, what it could mean for you to take a step out the boat is to say, do you know what? I'm going to check this out. I'm at least going to step out of the boat of what I know and think about what I don't yet know, but what might be true. And we run this amazing course here called Alpha. And it starts tomorrow night. You're welcome. There's a meal. There's discussion. There's a great opportunity there. And, you know, if it's true, all you lose is 10 Monday nights and you get free meals thrown in. But if it is true, imagine the difference. And what it will take is a step of faith. Some of you, you're Christians, and your boat, and your step of faith, rather, out of the boat, might mean that you get baptised. Wasn't that a great analogy? You get out of the boat, you will definitely get wet. You will definitely get wet. You will not walk on the water. Let me prophesy that right now. You'll get out of your comfort, and you will definitely get wet in there. But you know, baptism is really important because it's, an, it's, it's a step of obedience. Jesus tells us to do it. It's also a declaration of what God has done on the inside. And you know, many people don't get baptized because they have all kinds of fears. I'm not perfect. I'm not good enough. I might fail. Listen, get over all of that. Just go on and flip and get it done. Because baptism is so important and you are making a step and you will grow when you get baptised. You will grow. I'll, I'll do it next time. Next time won't come. Do it this time. September the 22nd, you can sign up in the sign-up sheet on the back. And when we make that step, we risk. We risk and we step out. But then we put ourselves in the position where we can grow. Where we can grow. You might say, oh, it's a little bit of a risk. I'm not sure whether I can do it. Somebody once said this, to live without risk is to risk not living. To live without risk is to risk not living. Sixth thing, fear makes you pray really good prayers. So when Peter gets out and he's stepping out and he's moving towards God and he begins to sink and he prays a really deep theological prayer. Lord, save me. That's a great prayer, isn't it? It's a great prayer. That's all you need. So you know, you know, some of you know, many of you will know Simon's story here. He's one of the leaders here at the church. He preached last Sunday. 
And his story is very much like this, that about eight years ago, he was wandering around the graveyard here in our zone. Life was a complete mess. And that's his words, not mine. You know, and thinking, God, are you, do you exist? Lord, would you save me? And just about to want to almost end his own life. It was that bad. And God did. And he found this building and he found this church and he came in. And then he sat underneath. He, he was too fearful to come and stand up here, to sit up here like you guys have done. You've shown courage, many of you, if you're visitors, to come up here. And he was too fearful for that. But he heard the words and he came back the next week and he came up and he gave his life to Jesus. And eight years later, he's one of the leaders in this church telling other people about this great God. And he's leading our Alpha course. And that started with a simple prayer, Lord, if you exist, would you show me you exist? Lord, would you save me? That's all it is. Fear makes you pray really good prayers. The final thing I want to say is this. You know, Jesus could have stilled the storm and sometimes he does. Sometimes he does still the storm. But sometimes he doesn't still the storm, but he stills us in the middle of the storm. And many of you know that to be true. The final thing is this, that fear can lead us to faith. And faith is life as it was meant to be. You know, we, we as Christians, we enjoy all the things of life and we have all the same issues as everybody else, but we have a faith in God who we believe created the heaven, uh, heavens and the universe and who loves us and who knows us and who when we die, we got to be with him in eternity. But while we're alive, we live as it was meant to be with faith. Augustine was um, one of the early church uh, leaders hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And he made this statement. He says, faith is to believe what we do not see and the reward of faith is to see what we believe. Faith is to believe what we do not see and the reward of faith is to see what we believe. And many people say, well, I'll believe it when I see it. No, you won't. You'll see it when you believe. You'll see it when you believe. In 1893, uh, a fellow called George Ferris invented something. Anyone want to take a stab at what he invented? The Ferris wheel, very bright group this morning. Uh, massive construction Ferris wheel. They'd never seen it before. Never seen it before. 1893, a massive one. And uh, the, uh, the day came for the inaugural test, uh, you know, the first time that things going to turn around with people in it. And it was a really windy day, really blustery day. And Pete, the crowd are kind of gathering and they're all a little bit nervous. And George Ferris was a little bit nervous as well. Uh, and so he, he pressed the button and it went around with nobody in it first, <laughs> all the way around and then it stopped. And then, and then the, the story goes that he got on to the Ferris wheel and he invited his wife uh, and a reporter to come as well. And the three of them went into the Ferris wheel and they started it up and it went a full revolution round and then they came and they landed. And the amazing thing is about that, George Ferris put his faith in the scientific knowledge he had, but his wife and the reporter, they put their faith in his faith. But here's the thing, the three of them only experienced the ride when they all put their faith in it. They all had to take a step. He knew stuff. They knew him who knew stuff. But in the end of the day, they were all on the same level. They all had to take a step of faith before they experienced the thrill of the right. I want to encourage you this morning, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, take a step of faith today. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond in a few minutes. And you might do that inside. You might do that by signing up. Some of you might do that by coming and asking for prayer. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to take a step of faith out of the boat because then you will grow. Fear is the price of growth, but we can do it because we have a God who is greater than our fears. So today, you can take a step of faith and in doing so, discover a God who is greater than your fears. What will happen next? Take a step. And you'll find out. We woke up Sunday morning and nothing 
had happened or we weren't aware of anything that had happened. I didn't have to use the baseball bat. We were all okay. I'd actually heard some things happening in the night but didn't know what those were and found out that um, they had caught some people in the area very close to us trying to, um, to break into apartments. At some point that day we had a phone call uh, from America from our friend who'd phoned us like a day or a couple of days before and said, can I look into flights for you? And it was quite an amazing conversation because he just said to us, I've booked you all a flight to Jordan. This is when it is. Please get on it. I really had a conflict inside of me of, of protecting the girls and getting them out and, and being safe, but also that I didn't want to leave my home and I didn't want to leave my friends. And I remember getting in the taxi and kind of shutting the door and thinking, God, please look after them. And we got onto the plane, successfully flew into Jordan and it was amazing for Vision to be able to stay free of charge that the airline put, uh, gave us a hotel to stay in that night. And so we were safely in Jordan and then we were able to get a flight the next day to Heathrow. Yeah, so a couple of weeks later, we did actually fly back into the country. At that point, um, there was quite a feeling of euphoria in the country. I remember as we drove back um, from Cairo to Alex in the taxi, the radio was playing very um, Egyptian songs of victory, and, and, and the feeling was uh, one of, of, of excitement. And the only thing I could do was completely trust in God. God is good and um, that he would be with us whatever happened in that situation. Only God could have provided a way out for us. God provided us a plane ticket and a plane ticket that I said that we never had to pay for. Yeah, my reflection of God through the whole process was that he didn't, he didn't calm the storm that we walked, we did walk through the storm, but that he was with us, that his hand was upon us. But we definitely can look back now and say that God was greater than the storm that we were in.